text for today. We're going to be bouncing all over the place. Just to review, um, recently, uh, Caleb, a few weeks ago, outlined the duty of every Christian to be knit into a local membership of a body, to have a devotion to one another, as the New Testament outlines. And he talked about the primacy of public worship for God's people, talking about our corporate responsibility to God, proper worship. Last week, we began to focus on our individual responsibilities, and we're kind of going into overview. The first one, last week, we talked about our individual responsibility to know biblical doctrine, to press into the Word, to seek to know it better, to know God better, that we might be a better benefit to the body. The second one we're going to talk about today is not only are we seeking to grow in our knowledge of the Word, we're seeking to grow in our knowledge of the individual members of this body that we've knit ourselves to, that we've devoted ourselves to. And the difficulty I had is that it's not like there's a single Bible verse that commands you to get to know your brothers and sisters better. But it's, I think, impossible, and actually I'm going to argue it's impossible to follow the commands of the New Testament and not do this. To have an idea that I don't have to get to know any of my brothers and sisters in the local assembly that I'm worshiping in, but I can still somehow obey the many commands that the New Testament gives us. So, that's the short version. We're going to start with the long version. Um, To begin, just to establish a baseline principle, we need to physically be around each other. What Bible verses would you point to to establish that idea or principle? That we are commanded to physically be around each other. Yeah? Yeah? Um, You want to expound on that? Right. Yes. And I think when we talked about this more explicitly, Paul uses the language, um, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So, there's the assumption you're doing this together. Um, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And so all the instructions are based on you're coming together to do this, and you need to do it rightly. Uh, What else might we point to? Yeah. And I think this is a verse we all need to have memorized. Hebrews 10, and especially verse 25. Um, We can start in verse 24. Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And, oh, I read verse 23. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are commanded to not neglect the gathering. And the specific context here is like what we're doing right now. What? Well, what we'll be doing, especially at 10.30, when we meet 
as the local assembly of God's people, we are commanded not to neglect that. There's a few other texts I might point to. Um, are there any other ideas as to what we'd point to? Yes. Yeah, go to Acts 2. This is a good text to think about. Acts 2, starting in verse 42. We've been in this text a lot through our ecclesiology series. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves Apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Notice, first of all, they're devoting themselves to fellowship. That immediately requires proximity. Um, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and 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 belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, again, they're together, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And we could talk about the, like we're not prescribed that every believer should sell all their possessions and give all the money to the church. But this is a great example to the closeness of this community. You don't get any closer than that, really. That we've, get, we've abandoned all that. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, they're certainly persecuted by the Jews. Like, you still have Saul running around at this time actively persecuting the church. But what I'm emphasizing is there was no hesitancy to be this close to each other. Not just in proximity, but also in how their lives were knit together. And this is an example that we should be seeing how can we press into this. How can we press in together and live life together? Yes, yes. And I, I have that written down here. There's four texts by my count that say this explicitly. You have the end of Romans, the end of 1 Corinthians, the end of 2 Corinthians, and the end of 1 Peter. And all of them say in one way or another, greet one another with a kiss, with a holy kiss, a physical greeting. There's an emphasis on, there's a physical engagement. And again, can't do that unless you're physically with each other. And not necessarily an emphasis on the local gathering on the Lord's Day, but First Peter 4 also. Uh, let's go to First Peter 4. I'm going to start in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 
Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And we'll stop there, but I'm emphasizing the hospitality. There's a command to show hospitality to one another. And again, we need to be physically around each other to do that. And so, just as we're beginning asking the question, can we deeply know each other without physical proximity? Now, I think, it, I think we're kind of in a, a unique situation historically, because I think in times past this wasn't even something thought of, like before the internet and before cameras and Zoom and all that. You didn't have a choice. Like, you could write letters, but other than that, you kind of, if you wanted to interact with this person, you had to go and see them. We are tempted, because of our current period, to elevate the effectiveness of digital uh, fellowship. And certainly, it is a gift. Certainly, it is something that can be helpful. But I think we all, if we're honest, recognize that it is not as good as in-person interaction. And you think of when we talk about pen pals or a friend you met on the internet that you interact with. We might value that relationship, but I think if it goes on for any period of time, typically you're looking for a way that you might actually meet this person face-to-face if you want the relationship to actually grow. And that's natural. Because we cannot relate in a deep way, without physically being with each other. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's been all kinds of experiments done to show how much body language is used in our communication. And so much of that is missed in digital communication. And so... One more thing on this point. Hopefully I'm not spending too much time on this. But this is pointing forward to an eschatological reality. Jesus is not content to have the kind of fellowship that we have now. Right? Our Lord is encouraging us that there will come a point where we have face-to-face fellowship with Him. Um, 1 Corinthians 13.12 For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face-to-face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Of course, when you get to the new city in Revelation 21, um, didn't write it in my notes, so I'll read it rather than probably poorly summarize it. Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city... New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This kind of physical proximity is the ideal. And when we gather as a church and we spend time together as God's people, Point, it's a taste of that future coming reality. 
So, any comments or questions on that point so far? So far, all we've said is we're commanded to gather, and it's good that we gather, and that's foundational for growing in our knowledge of each other. Any comments or questions so far? Yes. 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 They're both important. And this, I especially look here for, for a command to show hospitality to one another. I think that's outside of the Lord's Day gathering. So there's a, if we're going to get to really know each other, a few hours on Sunday is not going to cut it. Especially when most of that time we're not interacting with each other by design. So if we're going to obey the rest of these commands that we're going to see following, we've got to spend more time together outside of that. With that, one of those commands is to love one another. Where does the Bible command us to love one another? There's multiple places. A lot of First John, yes. Um, yes. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Along with First John, like the Gospel of John has several commands. I have thirteen thirty four in the Gospel of John. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, that you love one another. Can't get any more plain than that. Here's a command: love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Then John 15, verses 12 and 13, and then skipping down to 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. These things I command you, in verse 17, so that you will love one another. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves, loves another has fulfilled the law. And there's a lot. There's many texts we could go to that command us to love one another. So the next question to ask, what is love? Because this is something that is up for debate in our current time. We, we're told love is love in defense of things the Bible plainly calls sinful. Sexual inactivity, that, or activity, that is explicitly sinful. Self-identities that are contrary to what God has laid out in His Word. So what is love? We're told that love does not deny what people want to do, or what two consenting adults want to do, or whatever. But what this is implying is that love doesn't bring correction. That love just allows me to do whatever I design that I want to do. What does the Bible say that love is? If we want to pick one text that defines love for us, what is that text? Yes. Yes. So, 1 Corinthians 13. So, turn there because we need to see this. We're not to be content with any definition of love that does not 
include this. Verse 4, you probably all know it. <laughs> Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And as we reflect on how we do this practically, the, the illustration has been shared so many times, it is so easy to say, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ in China. And I hope by God's grace that I do love them. But they're all the way in China. Their sins do not affect me. Their sins do not irk me. It's a lot harder to say, I love you guys because you're here. And so there are things, sins in all of us. You have to bear with my sins. I have to bear with your sins. The command to bear all things doesn't make sense in a context where there's nothing to bear because we don't have a relationship, right? So this definition of love demands and assumes that you're in relationship with the objects of your love. Any comments or questions on that? Does that make sense? Does it seem like a stretch? Yes. 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 Right. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Well, and even Christ's command, greater love knows no one than this and one lay down his life for his friends. We can come up with a scenario where someone does a loving thing and dies for people he doesn't know. But when you're talking about normal stuff, Normal day-to-day -day Christian living, you're doing this for people you know, names and faces you know, people that you're in relationship with. So, just want to, I guess we'll pick one. Let's go to the end of 1 Corinthians, if you're still in 1 Corinthians 13. just to try and emphasize this more. I'm going to start in verse 5, and I just want to read what we have here. Paul says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the, the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now or I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Already you see Paul's desire to be there and not just to pass through, but to spend time with them and work with them. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am, so let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. The church would not be obeying this command if when Timothy shows up, nobody talks to him, nobody goes to introduce themselves to him, nobody offers to help him on his journey. 
they're expected to warmly greet him and actually relate to him. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they, were, they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. They're expected to know the, these names, right? Paul's saying these people's names. They're expected to know who these people are. To the churches, the churches in Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own right hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And this is just one example of how Paul ends many of his letters. There's a bunch of names, a bunch of people that he's pointing to so that there's an encouragement to press into each other. You know who these people are. Come together. Love one another. There's a few other commands I want to look at. Um, Galatians 6.2. And again, I'm just looking at several commands in the New Testament and showing how they assume or necessarily imply that you will know each other and you're growing in your relationship with each other. So we've looked at the command to be together physically. We've looked at the command to love one another. Now we're looking at Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the question is, how can you do this unless you know what the burdens of your brothers and sisters are? You cannot obey this command unless you know the burdens of your brothers and sisters. This requires actually asking what burdens your brothers and sisters have. And that's hard enough in a lot of cases. Now, I'll speak for myself. The harder part is divulging what those burdens are. And it requires that of you as well. So, this is hard, right? We're exposing ourselves. We're showing vulnerability. But the Bible commands this. We're not allowed to do lone wolf Christianity. It's not healthy. It's not good. It's not obedient. So we are commanded to show vulnerability so that we might help each other and grow with each other. And the hard parts, depending on your personality are either putting yourself out there to ask what those burdens are or putting yourself out there and answering those questions honestly and sharing real burdens rather than a surface-level burden that allows you to think, I've answered your question, but I haven't really <laughs> answered your question. James 5.16 
in a similar vein. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, I hope you assume this. The confession to one another, it doesn't say only confess to the elders. It means you're actually confessing to each other. You have the privilege, the power, the responsibility to confess your sins to each other, to minister to each other, and to remind each other of what the Bible says when those sins are confessed. I, I reflected on my experience as a younger Christian going to Christian camps, church summer camps, and they're highly emotive. They usually have like a build-up to typically the Thursday of the week where they have a late-night worship service where they encourage you either to make a big confession of your sins or do an altar call, whatever. But the difficulty came like when I did confess my sins, serious sins, part of it, church camps were never part of my denomination. I didn't know any of the people here. And even if I was hoping for follow-up, it was harder for them to provide that follow-up. How much better would it have been to confess those sins in the local church where there are people that are here and able to follow up and able to help? Romans 15.14. We were here last week. And this is another good text to really burn into your memory. Romans 15.14, Paul says, I am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. And again, he's not speaking just to the elders. He's speaking to everybody in this local church. That he is satisfied that you are able to instruct one another. You guys out there with no church position, which is the vast majority of you, You're able to instruct one another. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God. And you certainly have our help as elders and officers of the church. But you're able to do it. And instructing one another. What are we instructing one another regarding? Um, Do we know if a brother is struggling with a theological heresy or a theological issue? What are our brothers and sisters listening to? Maybe we're spending an inordinate amount of time listening to political content or entertainment content or listening to false teachers for educational purposes. you got to talk to people to know this stuff. And I'm not targeting any of you with this because all three of those things are things that I do. And it may be that one of you feels convicted that you need to ask me, how are you spending your time? And that's good. That's good for you to do. You don't need a certain level of education or anything like that to talk to your elders, talk to your deacons. How are you doing? To talk to your brothers and sisters. 
How are you doing? This is part of the instructing one another. So this necessarily will get to if you come to instruct somebody, I think that you need help in this area. There might be disagreements. What do we do at that point? Some of you, I know, because I've been in almost all of your houses, some of you have no TVs in your house. Some of you may have a collection of Marvel movies and Star Wars movies. Some of you don't know what those things are. That means we're going to have different convictions about how we're supposed to be spending our time, and therefore when we go to instruct one another, that means we're going to have different ideas in mind of how we're doing that. And this is why I think it was so helpful that we spent one Sunday going over Christian liberty. It'd be a good time to remind you of that. And to stick in Romans 14, or go to back to Romans 14, just to read, starting in verse 5, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor to, of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For no one... For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Keep that in one hand. But then on the other hand, one of the first texts we looked at, Hebrews 10, verse 24, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We got both, Right? We're commanded to say, all of you stand before God for the decisions you make, but I'm also encouraged to stir you up to love and good works. We need to get involved in each other's lives. We need to express if we think someone's in sin or living in an unwise way, we should feel more than free to express that, but also be open that I may be imbalanced in this area, and you might be at liberty to do what you're doing. Any questions or comments on that point? Okay. Yes. 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 Yeah, in the Catholic context, you're really only confessing to the priest. And he's not allowed to share it with anybody. So, I think it's an inferior way of handling confession of sin.
Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And this is why we got to be together. We got to spend time together. We got to grow in our ability to trust each other and to let people in and to press into other people. <laughs> we got to do both to fulfill all these commands that we've been talking about this morning. Just a. Uh, Let's go to Colossians 3. We might end here. Um, looking at verses 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and... If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you, must, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And what I'm trying to emphasize here is as we're talking about pressing into each other's lives and divulging things, we are still sinners. We will still offend each other at some points. We're we assume that all the members of the church are born again. We assume that we're all regenerate, all have regenerated hearts, new desires. But you know we're still going to do things that annoy each other. And we're actually going to sin against each other. Is that reason to leave the church? No. It's reason to press further into the New Testament. If it's an issue of sin, go to your brother and Matthew, as Matthew 18 outlines, lay out the issue. Also, keeping in mind that there are minor things that we should just bear. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love bears all things. What we read in Colossians, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And like we talked about last week, when it comes to real, like, Formal would be the better word. Formal church discipline. We're looking at sins that would negatively affect the whole body or their sins in such a strong sense that this brother needs to be shown the seriousness of this that it could show that he's not a believer, brother or sister. But the emphasis of this text, and there's a few, like Galatians 5, you could also look at later, the emphasis on unity and that unity requires that when we're pressing in, we're getting involved in each other's lives and we're offended at certain points, we're going to have to learn to overlook things. We're going to have to learn to bear things. We're going to have to learn to forgive quickly and freely. 
Yes. 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 And Cindy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's a wonderful, uh, I don't know if it's a proverb, but it's a wonderful, uh, wonderful text to remember. It is the glory of the man to look, overlook an offense. When you look at the New Testament, you see so much emphasis on false teaching. Almost every book of the New Testament has a section that deals with false teaching. You have a lot of the New Testament that deals with disunity and attacking disunity. And it's because of these commands that we've been going over. As a local body, we are commanded to love one another and nothing's going to rip us apart faster than someone who's sowing disunity and especially in false teaching. But outside of that, we need to be willing to bear and to forgive. Okay. Would, would you say, I'm just trying to like sum up in my own mind, like uh, the, the whole of, of what you're saying today is we, we have to be willing to put ourselves in the context where we can obey the one who oh, yeah. right? oh, yeah. And if we're not with one another, we, we're not even putting ourselves in the context where we can obey. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why I tried to begin like knowing we would be bouncing around all over the place. That's why I tried to lay out at the outset that these commands either assume or necessarily imply, or both, that you're with each other and you're growing in your knowledge of each other. You're not just physically present with each other, but you're actually talking. You're actually asking, what's going on with you? How are you doing? What can I be praying for you for? I think we better end it here. We're about out of time. So let's pray.